liberty and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. And we begin with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, in your great mercy, you have sent Jesus to speak his word over us with authority. We praise you, Lord, for he has promised us forgiveness, life, and salvation. Today, as we hear this word, Lord, we pray that you would teach us to trust you all the more. Now grant us your Holy Spirit, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that has really been uh, on my mind lately is church attendance. And, and I know that if you've heard me preach or talk lately, this should not surprise you. This is just something that uh, has been really weighing heavily on my mind. And, and it's, it's got me thinking about a lot of things and asking a lot of questions. Like, why do we come to church in the first place? As you know, and we're not going to run through all the statistics again, because I've done that enough for us lately, uh, but after COVID, church attendance across the country has really sort of decreased. And so it's really forcing us to ask these kinds of questions. What's the point in coming to church? Why is it that people go to church? Now, there are a lot of benefits they're finding uh, in these studies that they do of what happens for folks when they do go to church. There's a lot of good things that we receive when we come to church. For example, we receive community or fellowship. Uh, you go to church and you have a group of people around you to support you, to encourage you, uh, to pray for you. And this is, a, this is a hopeful and happy thing. So people come here for relationships, for friendships, and, and that's good. They've also found that when it comes to going to church, there's a number of other benefits. There's, uh, there's health benefits to this. They're finding that people who attend church and who pray actually live longer and have healthier lives. There's a therapeutic benefit. There's something good about going to church and hearing that there is a God in the universe who loves you and has a purpose for you and forgives your sins and gives you the gift of eternal life. This gives people a sense of meaning in their life. And so there's all these wonderful benefits we receive from coming to church. And those are good things. We don't want to dismiss those things at all. But that's not why we go to church. In fact, I would suggest that those things, as good as they are and beneficial as they are, they can also be found in, in plenty of other places. So why is it that we come to church? Well, hopefully this answer doesn't surprise you this morning. Uh, there's one reason, really, and one reason only. Jesus. We come to church to hear the word of Christ. And frankly, this is exactly what we need right now. We need to hear the word of Jesus because what we need in our world is to be reminded of who is in charge around here. Because there are a lot of other voices out there claiming to have authority. There's a lot of other uh, voices out there claiming to be in control of what's going on. And we need to be reminded of truly who is in charge around here. We can, we can think of our life in the world kind of like this. Think of it like this. You've been invited to a wonderful party. And the host of the party has sent you directly an invitation and he wants you to be there because he wants to have a conversation with you. And you are excited. You want to talk to the host of this party. You want to spend time with the host of this party. So you get all ready and you go to see the host. But as you arrive at the party, suddenly you're surrounded by a bunch of other people that you don't particularly want to talk to. But these people are demanding your time. They're clamoring for your attention. They want to dominate your evening so that you don't spend any time with the host. 
the host walks into the room and he sees this and he sees how terribly bored and tired you are by having to speak with these people. And so he very politely comes up and inserts himself in the conversation, grabs you by the arm and pulls you away and sits you next to him at his table to eat where he feeds you and nourishes you and tells you all sorts of wonderful things that you need to hear. That's what church is like. You live in a world right now where there are all these voices clamoring for your attention, trying to draw your attention away from the host of the party, trying to draw your attention away from Jesus. And Jesus is the one who shows up and brings you to himself so he can speak his word into your ears and invites you to this table where he can feed you and nourish you with his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. We need this. We come to church to receive this Jesus to be reminded that this is his party and you are his guest. And, he won't, and he's not going to let those others have you because he's the one who's in charge around here. Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to look a little bit more closely then at some of these voices that are seeking to distract us from Jesus. And the three voices I want to particularly look at are, shouldn't be too surprising. We talk about them a lot around here. But there are three voices that really want to distract us from, from what Christ has to say. And that is, of course, the devil, uh, sin, and death. And I want to show you today how Jesus comes and takes us away from these things to give us mercy, forgiveness, life, and hope. And a great example of how Jesus does this is laid out for us in the reading from the Gospel of Mark today. This is a wonderful account where we're in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and we're still being introduced to who Jesus is. Well, on this particular day, we see Jesus go to the synagogue. I believe it's the Sabbath day. And as he walks in, he begins to teach. And the people are amazed by what he has to say. Because it says he teaches as one who has authority. And so as they're listening to this guy teach, they suddenly realize there's someone in the crowd who's not too thrilled by what Jesus has to say. And he stands up to interrupt Jesus. Listen to how the conversation goes. They were astonished at Jesus' teachings, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of it. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, now it's a phenomenal scene of what took place on that day. But notice what's going on here. The demon speaks to Jesus as though he's the one who has authority in that place. It is an interesting thing to note that the language that the demon uses in this account. When he sees Jesus, he says, what do you have to do with us? Now, we only read about one demon here. They're not multiple demons, as we'll find in other accounts. So who is the us the demon is talking about? Well, perhaps he's looking around at the, the congregation there in the synagogue, and he's saying, look, look at us here. We're doing just fine without you. We have no need of you. We are, I have everything totally under control here, Jesus, so be gone. We want nothing to do with you. Also notice that he uses Jesus' name. There are many people who study these things, who study 
demons, I guess. Uh, and what they find is that demons will tend to use the name of a person if they want to have authority over them, if they want to control them. So it's as though this demon is saying to Jesus, this is my territory, you're in my space, and I need you to leave. And Jesus will have none of it. Turns out demons can't control Jesus. So Jesus says, be silent and come out of it. And the demon can't help but obey. Jesus is the one in control. He's the one who has the authority. And what Jesus does for us in this account is he demonstrates why he has come. He has come to do away with the work of the devil. He has come to silence Satan. Now, my guess is that we don't have anybody here in this congregation this morning who is possessed by a demon. Maybe that's not a safe thing to guess, but I'm just going to go with it until you prove me wrong, and then this morning gets way more fun. Uh, but right now, we may not have that. But that doesn't mean the devil doesn't bother us. The devil most certainly does attack us, but he does it perhaps in far more subtle ways. The devil likes to play around with our consciences. That's where his sort of attacks go. And he likes to go after our conscience, I think, in one of two ways. The first way, and this is really the predominant way I think we see the devil working in our world right now, is he tries to make our consciences callous by telling us, listen, you don't need to change. You're perfect just the way you are. You have no need of repentance in your life. You have nothing you need to turn away from. Everything is going exactly as it should, and you should be proud of everything about yourself. Don't let anybody else come along and tell you you're a sinner. Don't let anybody else come along and tell you that you don't need to change anything. You're fine just the way you are, so that when Jesus shows up and says, repent and believe the good news, in our conscience, we say, no, I don't need that. I'm doing just fine the way I am. The flip side is that there are others of us here where the devil doesn't just, he doesn't callous our consciences, but he pummels them. And he makes us feel so worthless and so guilty as though we have no place in the presence of God and his people. This is when he comes to our conscience and says, look at you. You think Jesus would ever have anything to do with a sinner like you? You have to be pure and holy in order to enter into the presence of God. He won't have you until you change, until you figure this out. He wants nothing to do with you. And so the devil will attack us in those ways, and he'll go for our consciences, trying to make them hard and callous or shattered and destroyed. And it's into that situation where Jesus walks up and he says, be silent and come out of them. And Jesus appears to you and he says, listen, you most certainly do need the forgiveness of sin. You most certainly do need to repent. So repent and believe the good news that I've come to forgive you. I've come to forgive you no matter how dark or how deep, no matter how hard or difficult your sins may seem, Jesus says, I have died for all of them on the cross, for I have died for you, and you are mine. Be gone, Satan. This one belongs to me, and he takes control of your conscience. And he says, I have washed your conscience clean. You are forgiven. And that forgiveness word that we hear in church every Sunday is what we need to come back to hear again and again. 
because this is how the devil likes to attack us. And he always likes to bring with him, when we come to this, this sort of party in this world, the devil always brings a friend with him, and it's why he thinks he has authority to accuse you. He brings with him your sins. He strolls up to you, and right next to him is your sin and your guilt and your shame. And that sin walks up to you, and it also wants to command your attention. It also wants to hold itself over you and always sit in front of your eyes. Sin is like this... this this needy person at a party who never will let go of your side is always right there like you're trying to get to see the host and sin is just holding on like, hey, 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 let's go do this. Hey, you want to go have some fun over here? Hey, remember when we used to do this all the time? Wasn't that great? Wouldn't you love to come back and do that again? And every time you try and push sin away, sin says, that's fine, you can leave me alone, but don't worry, I'm going to let everyone else know what you've done. And I won't ever leave. I'm always right by your side. And now we can try and make sin look all bad and terrible, but there are times when sin is right there with us, and it, and it looks pretty good. It looks like it might be fun to go hang out with sin again. And though in our hearts we say we want to be free from sin, we find something else at work in our lives where we almost want to give in to sin. It's impossible for us to turn this sin away. And so that's why Jesus comes. Not just to drive away the devil, to free us from our sin as well. Again, Jesus' word to you when it comes to your sinfulness is this word of mercy, this word of forgiveness. And, and that word of forgiveness is an interesting word. It has a number of layers in the way we understand it. Very often when we say, I forgive you your sins, or we hear forgiveness of sin, uh, what we're thinking of is sort of a courtroom scene where the judge comes along and says, not guilty, and your sins aren't counted against you anymore. And that's good. That's, that's one of the proper ways of thinking of forgiveness. But the word that's used for forgiveness also means this, to separate from, to be removed from. And so when Jesus says to you, I forgive you your sins, what he's saying is, I have come to take your sins away from you so they can't cling to you anymore. It's like you're at this party and, and sin is clinging to you and Jesus comes along and grabs skin very politely by the scruff of its neck and says, hey, let's go for a walk. And he takes sin outside and he carries it all the way with him to the cross where there he drowns your sin in the flood of his shed blood and he puts sin in the grave never to bring it up again. The Lord Jesus forgives you for your sins in every sense of the word. And he's never bringing them back to hold them against you. Now for us, this seems so, so much of a distraction. Our, the, the devil and our sinfulness, and it weighs so heavy on us, and it seems so loud and noisy. And that's why we come to church. Because it's here where Jesus silences our sins. Where he drives away the devil. It's here where we are reminded of his word, and where we are given his forgiveness. But then, of course, there's that one other voice that comes to distract us at this party, and it seems as though this is the one we simply cannot avoid. And this other voice that speaks seems to speak with such authority as though it's the one that's ultimately in charge. And that's the voice of death. And this is the distraction that is hard to avoid. And so often, it's death that drives us to fear the despair discourages us. In fact, very often it's, it's the fear of death that can drive us to sin. And it's very loud, this death. 
Frankly, it's been loud around here these days. It's been a rough couple of weeks here at CLC, you know. Uh, we've got a lot of friends who have, who have gone to rest with the Lord recently, who have died. I'm just looking, I got a list here of, of funerals and services we've done in the past month and people were, were thinking about. We, we've got, uh, we had a service yesterday for Harry Simmons. Not long ago, we had one for Larry Barrett. Uh, we know of our dear friends Barbara and, and Millie who have gone to rest with the Lord. Uh, this past weekend, Paul Lang went to rest with the Lord. And death in those situations just seems so loud, and it seems so cruel, and it seems so final. And it gets heavy, and it gets hard to deal with. And it's because of death that we come to church <laughs> on Sunday morning. And it is interesting, isn't it, that we come on Sunday morning? You know why we come on Sunday morning? I mean, it used to be Saturday. There's a whole Old Testament law about this. It's the Sabbath day. You go on Saturdays uh, to worship the Lord. But early on in the life of the church, it shifted to Sunday. Because Sunday is Easter. Sunday is the day of the resurrection. Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the grave and conquered death and gave us the promise that death would be defeated forever. I mean, you think about this. Sunday is the day where God begins the creation with his word, and Sunday is the day where Jesus restores the creation with his resurrection. And it's the day that promises us new life. This day, this Sunday itself, even preaches to us the good news that death is not forever. For those who die in Christ, we know that for you and for me and for those we love, death is nothing more than a blessed sleep. And if you want to talk about a voice that we will not be able to avoid, it is the voice of Christ that he will proclaim when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And he will cry out and there will be the voice of an archangel and a loud trumpet. And even those who are dead will rise from their grave. And we who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And Jesus will say once and for all to death, be silent and get out of here. And death will cower and flee, just like sin and just like the devil. In the coming of Christ, death has lost its sting. So yeah, the devil, sin, death, these are all very hard at work to distract us from the host who has invited us to the party. But let's be honest. In comparison with what he has to say, this crowd is awfully boring. And so we come to church on Sunday morning to hear the good news again, that Satan is defeated for you. Your sins are forgiven, and eternal life is yours. So don't listen to those other voices. Don't let them distract you. Simply hear the good news. Jesus has come, and he is glad you are here. And now he has a seat for you at the table where he will give you his body and his blood and the bread and wine. I tell you again, your sins are forgiven. You are mine, and eternal life is yours. Amen. We pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, through your dear Son, Jesus Christ, for the mercy that you have granted us. 
Lord God, we deserve nothing but punishment for our sins and its consequence, death. And yet, Lord, in your mercy, you have sent Jesus to free us from Satan, to forgive our sins, and to call us forth from our graves into your, your presence for eternity. Grant us faith to trust you throughout our lives and bring us through this veil of tears into your presence forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.